Hello, educators and learners, and welcome to the Homeroom with Sal podcast, brought to you by Khan Academy. We're an educational technology nonprofit dedicated to bringing a world-class education to anyone, anywhere. And Sal is our founder. I'm not Sal Khan. I'm David Reinstrom. I'm on the content team, and I'm here to introduce today's show. Sal, or the occasional guest host, presents the Homeroom with Sal and Khan Academy Ed Talks live stream shows on YouTube and Facebook, where they interview notable folks from the worlds of education, technology, finance, entertainment, and more. We've taken some of our favorite conversations from the live show and turned them into a podcast. Without further ado, here's this week's show. So with that out of the way, I am super excited to introduce our panelists. And I will actually ask them to introduce themselves, but we have Delisha, who is a cybersecurity expert and also a recent college grad. We have Madison, who is a designer, artist, uh, associated with CNN Plus, and also a recent college grad. And we have Ernest, who is a software engineer at Google and founder and president of Codehouse and also a recent college grad. But uh, Delisha, let me start with you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and your journey uh, into becoming a cybersecurity expert. Yes, Sal. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Hi, everyone out there. I am Delisha Hutto, an undergraduate cybersecurity student advisor, as Sal stated. Uh, in my career, I have the pleasure of advising as well as supporting uh, students and future defenders uh, in the cybersecurity space and realm. And in that work, we're making sure that they are trained so that they can not only defend our world in the cybersecurity world, but also defend you and the different things that you love to do. When I'm not advising, I am the chair of our SANS HBCU team, where our goal is to support juniors and seniors at historically black colleges and universities, uh, receive free cybersecurity training and certifications as well. And honestly, what led me to this path in cybersecurity was honestly by chance. Um, I actually majored in psychology, got my bachelor's in psychology. And it's one of those majors where it allows you to go anywhere and end up anywhere. And I'm one of those people that pretty much, I would say cybersecurity found me and I wouldn't have it any other way is, as it allows me to watch other students and other individuals achieve greatness while also defending the world from cyber attacks and bad actors, um, as well as supporting others and hopefully inspiring more of you out there to help us defend and become cybersecurity experts as well. No, I love that, Delisha, and I'm going to ask you many more questions about it, especially because well, at least what you're advising these undergraduate students to do, it's like they could get to live in a Tom Clancy novel. They get to, like, defend right. the country and, <laughs> you know, in the cyber world, which is obviously only becoming a, a, a bigger and bigger thing. Uh, but, but let's go to you, Ernest. Tell me a little bit about your journey uh, and, and, and how you ended up both as a software engineer, but also uh, what you're doing at Codehouse. Sure. So thanks for the introduction. Glad to be here. Hello, everyone. My name is Ernest Holmes. I grew up in New Jersey and I made it all the way down to Atlanta to attend college at Morehouse College. Uh, Morehouse College is an historically black institution serving all black men. And while at Morehouse, I was very aware about the many opportunities that exist in the tech industry. And when I was just a freshman, I actually wound up getting an internship at Google to uh, be a software engineer. So I spent every summer, actually, while I was at Morehouse interning at Google out in California. So they flew me out, 
got to work on amazing projects from advertisement to mobile to development to um, artificial intelligence and machine learning on these robotic flowers. And that eventually allowed me to become a full-time software engineer at Google working on the Fuchsia team. So that's my day job. Uh, that's what I do. And I'm very passionate about being in the tech industry. But I also realized that there was a need for more people of color to be exposed to, especially at an earlier age, to the different opportunities that exist, exist in the tech industry, whether it's engineering or design, product management. And that allowed me to get together not only with my sister, but one of my best friends, Tavis Thompson, and the other person on this call, Madison Mativier, and a bunch of other great individuals to make Code House, which is all about exposing students of color to the tech industry. So we expose middle and high school students to different careers in, in the tech industry, but then now we also support early college uh, students with scholarships. That's right, scholarships, so we can actually pay for your schooling if you're interested in going to the tech industry and attending an HBCU. Um, so that's a little about me, and I guess the last hat I wear right now, I'm also actually a professor at Morehouse College uh, teaching freshman computer science. So wearing a few different hats right now. And I, I want to ask you more questions about that. We actually already have questions coming in through YouTube, and I encourage everyone watching to start putting your questions for any of these very impressive young people that you see in front of you. Uh, but I have one question before I move on to Madison. What does the Fuchsia team work on? Is you know Fuchsia is just a color. What, what, what is the Fuchsia team? <laughs> you on I'm glad you asked. So, yeah, Fuchsia is actually an operating system that we're building from scratch, completely open source. And it's actually one of the first large developments of an operating system that's non-Linux based. So if you little background, every single thing that works right now, computers, phones, they're all derived and based in this thing called Linux. We decided to make an operating system that is not based in Linux. So it's rethinking how computers work and how the, eventually different devices can interact with one another. Super cool project, super cool team. Um, and hopefully you see a lot more future soon. And I'm still wondering how it's connected to the color, but maybe we'll, we'll get into that. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. another point. But, but Madison, tell us a little bit about your journey um, on, on how you got to where you are as a, a designer and an artist. Yeah, well, hey, everyone. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. <laughs> My name is Madison Mativier. I am a proud and loud 2019 graduate of Howard University, earning a bachelor's in fine arts in design and a double minor in art history in German. So that love for art actually brought me to my current position. I am a graphic artist slash production designer at CNN Plus. For those who may not be familiar with CNN Plus, it's totally okay. <laughs> it actually launches next year. It's CNN's streaming platform. So kind of like an HBO Max, a Netflix, but CNN. So what that compiles is a couple things I can't talk about, but very generally, it's a bunch of unique TV TV programming that you can access on a streaming platform. On my, well, that's my day job. <laughs> after, you know, after 6 p.m., I kind of switch hats, and I'm not only the creative director at Codehouse Corporation, as Ernest so eloquently explained, um, but I'm also owner of my own creative agency, Aji Creative, where we work with brands such as Ruby, Ruby Rose, um, <laughs> It's been a crazy <laughs> wild ride with the amounts of clients and types from small businesses to larger ones such as Quality Control Music, Universal Music Group, um, as well as you know community centers within the Dallas area. Um, 
and yeah, my, my love of art really brought me here to be quite honest with you. That's incredible. You know, I, I, I like I'd like to think that I was I was I, I was doing pretty well for myself in my early twenties, but y'all are making me feel somewhat insecure about what I was doing with myself given all that y'all 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 have already accomplished. But the the topic of today is college, is it is it right for me or is it right for the folks listening? And you can imagine there's a lot of young people. Some of them are, are saying, I want to go to college. Some folks are saying, I'm not sure. There might be other paths. And then even amongst the people who are thinking about college, they're saying, can I afford it? How do I figure out how to navigate it? What types of colleges should I go through? So I'd like to go one by one through y'all again and say, how were you thinking about it when you were 16 or 17 years old? Did you have some of these doubts? How did you navigate these doubts? Was it random chance? Were there certain things you did that helped you make uh, better decisions? And actually, I'll, I'll go in the same word. Delisha, I'll start with you. Yeah, for me, um, I was a first gen. So first in my family to actually attend college and graduate. Um, so for me, it was a lot of exploration, a lot of thinking. Um, I initially actually wanted to go into audio engineering. So leading into music production because I, I love music and I'm a very creative person. And I soon discovered and something that you're going to speak about and you spoke a little bit too, uh, the financial piece. Um, I sadly discovered that financially the school wasn't a fit for me and I wasn't going to be able to go into audio engineering. So that's when I made that pivot to my plan B, psychology, and haven't looked back since. Um, but for me, I'll say it's a unique path, especially if you are a future first generation student out there in the world and you're in the first in your family. There's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of people that you can lean on. And what I will say to you is life is not a straight path. So don't be worried if you do not end up in a career in your major. That's pretty normal right now in the world that we live in. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're a failure. What it means is you you were brave enough to take a chance and that you still have light years ahead of you to discover what your passion is and to do something that makes you happy. And to make sure I understand, you were originally thinking about audio engineering and you decided to move out of that because was it a different school and that was too expensive or you were thinking that the career might be harder to attain than how, how are you? How did you make that transition? Initially, because I'm in the state of Georgia, it was only one college that actually offered anything near to audio engineering. And that college was Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, it's a private college. So with that, it was extremely expensive. And again, as I said before, I'm first gen, first in my family. We're not the richest in the world. Um, so when I received that financial aid package, I realized, wow, even with a scholarship, I, I can't afford $30,000 a year or however much it was. So I had to make that conscious decision to say, you know what? I do like psychology, so let me pivot. My plan B is gonna be, I'm gonna pivot to psychology. I'm gonna see where it takes me. And if it's meant to be, I'll always find my way back to music, whether it's through audio engineering or just finding ways to express myself in other ways, whether through spoken word, which I do, poetry, um, or just enjoying listening to music and analyzing it. So you can still find those joys without necessarily going into that major or ending up in that career. So that's kind of how I, was able to pivot and change my mindset about it. And quite frankly, didn't really have a choice because of the financial situation. But I feel like at the end of the day, looking back on it, it was the right choice to make and not go into debt as much debt. I'm um, doing that. And as always, 
because I'm still young, if I really wanted to go back into audio engineering, I'm sure I could. No, and thanks for sharing that story because I think students don't hear those stories enough because so many times in, in a forum like this, people are like, oh, just, you know, do whatever you want and all of that. And there's, there's a student saying, but how am I going to pay for that? Or, you know, and, you know, I remember being in a similar situation. Uh, my family, you know, we, we, we grew up not a lot of resources. And I remember my sister applying to a school that I'm like, how are we going to pay for? And I think at the time, you know, this was in the nineties, it was $25,000 a year. I was like, we, that's more than my mom makes. That's twice what my mom makes in a year. How are we going to do that? And then my sister explained to me about the whole financial aid system and all of that. So to your, your story, you know, it sounds like, look at, look, it sounds like you did the right things. You, you said, what am I interested in? But you'll explore the options. You said, okay, now what are they offering? They might be offering a little bit of scholarship, a little bit of financial aid, but that still was not practical, but there's other really good options. And obviously now you are helping other people defend our country against cyber threats and whatever and whatever else. Let me move to Madison. Madison, I'll, I'll ask you the same question I asked Alicia and Ernest, which is, how did you think about it when you were leaving high school? College right for you? If so, what college, what major? How did, how did money factor into it? Yeah, so, um... I'll give you a little bit of personal information about myself. Um, I'm actually a first generation American. Um, so my parents were adamant about me kind of fulfilling that dream for them going to college. And I knew that was definitely <laughs> uh, the only choice <laughs> I had. But um, I can tell you, I guess, thinking about my 16 year old self, it was terrifying to um, essentially perceive the job market as something I'm doing for the rest of my life. You know, of course, that that myth was dispelled during my college years, you know, it's not necessarily one thing I have to do for the rest of my life. But being 16, that's what I thought of it about. I'm like, wow, I really have to pick something and I have to just stick with it for the rest of my life. And that that thought haunted me for a while. Um, so uh, before high school, my parents certainly wanted me to be a doctor. 100% like they were convinced I was going to be a doctor. They're like, yep, you're going to work at the same hospital your father does and you're going to do this. And I'm like, okay, you know, your parents, you kind of just go with it. But as I progressed, even in middle school, I just knew I loved art. And as much as, you know, House and a bunch of other doctor shows interest me and I, I loved working with, you know, people, I, I liked art more. And that was something that I needed to realize in high school. And I'm just like, okay, like, you know, 16 year old me logic was if I was going to do something for the rest of my life, I need to like it. <laughs> So I started researching what I can do in art, and I think that just opened up my mind to the, the possibilities of where I can go and what I can do. And, you know, design being such a, a broad subject and a broad major, I can go into several different things, which, you know, I'll, I'll definitely go into being like more multifaceted a little bit later. But um, in terms of, you know, picking college, I, I was looking around and there were some local ones. I'm originally from New Jersey, so I was looking at Rutgers, Montclair, Seton Hall, all these state schools. Um, didn't, like Ernest, didn't really know about uh, much about HBCUs at all. But I had a friend whose older brother did go to attend Howard, and he just came back and there was something just different about him. I don't know what it was. I just, I'm like, oh, he seems a lot more confident. He seems, you know, I don't know, it was, it's like an aura almost. And I was like, hey, let me just ask. And I think asking those questions and seeking that guidance and help from him really helped me in order to make my college decision. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, take a weekend trip down to DC and just step on campus and really feel the environment. And I do suggest for, you know, my students out there, try to, if you can, if you have the means to and the ability to do, 
go to the universities that you are interested in and feel, you know, ask questions. Stop the student, you know, students like to talk. <laughs> ask them, hey, what do you like about your university? What would you like to see improved? What's your favorite part? Um, and on Howard's campus, I was able to just talk to so many people and I'm like, wow, these people are so cool. And, you know, <laughs> I wish there was more technicality and rhyme and reason to my story, but it was really just because I love that campus. Uh, that art department was great. Um, a lot of people on that campus had the same interests as me. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's pretty much my, my story on how I got here. Yeah, there's there's two at least at least two big takeaways I took from yours is it is true oftentimes you're 16 or 17 years old and you think what major you choose or where you go to college is going to you know the die is cast for the rest of your life but I think one of the narratives and we heard it with Delicia's is that she thought she was going to do one thing she did another thing and then now she's ended up in a completely different thing that as long as you're doing things that are helping you grow your general skills and your thinking you might have a lot of options available another thing that you talked about which is you you asked a lot of questions uh, you have that. Uh, that family friend who went to Howard, you asked them a lot of questions, you went to the campus, you asked a lot of questions. So what I'm hearing is just the power of asking a lot of people a lot of questions. Uh, you know, going into it, there, I have a ton of questions. This is unusual how many questions we're getting off of uh, social media. So y'all are very popular, more popular than I tend to be when I'm just doing this uh, by myself. But let me jump into some of them. So I have this question for Ernest. Greatest American Daniel asks, interesting username, what is it like being a software engineer? What do you do daily? What's your day-to-day -day like, Ernest? <laughs> can you hear me now? Are we good? Yes, yes, we can. Great, 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 great. Um, love to answer that question. Being a software engineer in the tech industry, period, but especially at Google, is one of the best jobs I think you can do in the world. There's no other company that you could come to uh, get to work whenever you want. I would say that, um, you know, be surrounded by volleyball courts, basketball courts, swimming pools, video games on every corner, gourmet food in every cafe. And the best part about the food is it, it's all free. Like Google, it has a theory that like if they give their employees every benefit possible and make sure that the, their employees are the most relaxed and comfortable in the workplace, then productivity will go up. And I guess it's been working because Google's been making millions, if not billions, in, <laughs> of impact in dollars. A different engineer truly looks as um, you come to the office when you need, when you're ready to. Um, you, I, me personally, I would go get some breakfast, some nice bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich, maybe, depending on how I feel. Uh, check my email, uh, make sure I'm caught up with everything with my manager. And then I'm probably working on one of maybe three or four projects. So I start hacking away at some of them. So I write some code. By that time, after like a 30 minutes to an hour, it's already lunchtime. So I go get some lunch and lunch is amazing. And Google has food for every different background you can think of, food from all parts of the world. So if you want sushi one day, you can get sushi to fried chicken, to a burger, to a burrito. Um, and then in the afternoons is normally where you have a lot of meetings. So you're meeting with your team, working, make sure everyone is getting their code done that it needs to be done. And honestly, my day probably, I probably get in the office at like 10 and then I'll leave around four. As long as I'm getting all my work done, it doesn't truly matter what times of the day you're working. It's more if you're getting your project done when you said you're gonna get it done. Bottom line is best job in the world, I personally think. 
Well, I, I, I think you're, you're doing a great job recruiting for, for Google, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> and I look, I think by any objective measure, Google is a very solid uh, employer, employer to work for. You know, just I'll, 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 that question about the day to day, I think that is intriguing for all of y'all. And I'll add, there's another question from YouTube, Jay McCall. How did you guys know these were the jobs you wanted and loved doing? Maybe I'll go to you first, Alicia, on this one. One, if you want to say anything about your day-to-day, -day, that's always interesting, uh, what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. But also, how, how did you zero in on this one? Um, and, and where is it on that spectrum of how, how much you love it? Right. I'll just add a little tidbit about my day-to-day. -day. I will say I'm not at Google. But it is great, like Google, because I also get to choose my own flexibility and schedule as well. Um, so that's very awesome. Um, and then just as far as, sorry, what was the other question? Just on my other day-to-day. -day. No, and, and how did you, well, one, what's your day-to-day, -day, which it sounds like you also get some flexibility in yours. Yes. But also, you know, how, how did you gravitate towards this? We, you alluded to a little bit. You're in psychology. You're interested in psychology, which is objectively a very interesting field, as is cybersecurity. But then... How, what what made you do the leap? Was there an opening? And, and you're like, hey, that's kind of cool. Let me just see what that is. And you're like, I kind of enjoy this. How, how did you fall into this and realize you like it? It was actually uh, by way of nonprofit. So um, for several years, I actually served as a college advisor uh, with, a, with an organization, a nonprofit called College Advising Corps, if you've heard of it. And we've actually worked uh, with College Board before. And I was serving and supporting high school students like who were like me. Um, first generation who had never family had never went to college so I was supporting them with the whole college process from college applications to essays to registering for their SAT ACT uh, giving them scholarship lists making sure they apply for scholarships getting them ready for graduation if they weren't ready or did not want to go to college then I was supporting them through signing up for the military or finding other careers and opportunities that weren't related to college that would still provide them with an opportunity to make a change and create generational wealth for their family. So from there, I realized, okay, I'm on the beginning side of education where I'm supporting them and I'm getting them to the door to graduate from high school and to get into college. And I'm seeing them walk through in their first year of college and, and do all those great things. But now I wanna support them beyond that step. How can I get on the other side, which is higher education, and support them through the actual college journey? Um, so that's when I actually did some research. I started searching. I actually stumbled upon a Science Technology Institute. Uh, to be honest with you, I thought, I was like, does this really exist? Is this a one of those scam jobs online? Because you can never be too careful. <laughs> it's kind of ironic that I, it's a cybersecurity college. So even uh, then I was a bit skeptical. Um, but I looked into it, did some research, and then I realized that they were a part of the best cybersecurity leader in industry um, in the whole country. And I said, okay, I'm going to give it a chance. So although I didn't have experience in higher education at that time, I had never worked as a student advisor in a higher education setting or for a college, I applied anyway. I stepped out on faith, I bet it on myself, and I said, okay, I'm going to take this step, I'm going to bet on myself, and I'm going to apply. And that's just what I did. I was afraid, I was scared, I was nervous, but I got a call back. And several interviews later, I landed the job and we're knocking on two years in December and I haven't looked back since. And, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity and I've learned so much about cybersecurity. It is so interesting and I'm just excited to, to teach and, and inspire those out there who are watching this to want to 
defend again like our, our cyber war because cybersecurity is going to be and is a huge and critical piece um, of our infrastructure in this country. And it's something that we're going to need more people regardless of what major or career path you come from, regardless of your background. You don't have to fit a mold. There's no prototype of what you need to look like or be or like or do to join cybersecurity. We want people from all walks of life whether you're into art and you're really good at it or you're really good at software engineering, we need all of you from all walks of life to come into the world of cybersecurity to bring your diverse perspectives and to help us save the world. Yeah, I love very few jobs where you can credibly talk about saving the world. And one, I, I, I was very entertained by the notion that you thought the the, the cybersecurity security college might itself be some type of a phishing attack. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might have, uh, but but also I think you know I hear it in your voice the joy of and this is I think education generally but being an advisor because you get a multiplier effect on your job you're helping other people discover their journeys and then they will then help save the planet hopefully. Yes. Um, Madison, what what about on your side? And I'll, I'll I'll give a slightly different flavor to the question, which is, it's one thing for you early on to say, hey, you know, I like art more than I like healthcare. But there's another thing where the, the education and what you do in school might be pretty different than what you end up doing for a job. I've seen people who go to school for one thing, but then when they get the job, they're like, oh, this is what I have to do on a day to day basis. What was it was 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 the transition from school, which it sounded like you really enjoyed art school or the design aspects of it to work? Was it as you were expecting? Was it better than expected? Was it worse than expected? How did you navigate that? <laughs> I think this is a, a very, very personal question to me. Uh, it was nothing like my undergrad experience. I can say uh, my internship experiences in undergrad reflect me being interested in so many different things. My freshman year, I stayed as a, a campus mentor on Howard's campus, just giving tours, talking to people, answering the same questions that I asked as a senior. Um, being a freshman, I got, I got some answers, so <laughs> I was able to relay that. My um, sophomore year, I was a accounting intern at AT&T's uh, government military headquarters in uh, um, Virginia, which is totally outside of design. And I can you know, go on about that uh, days, but um, my junior, I was able to um, intern with New York Fashion Week, which was something I've never done before. I ended up in New York for a weekend, really just running around and experiencing that. And my senior year is when I actually landed my dream internship uh, with AT&T in El Segundo, California, um, essentially working in their entertainment sector, which is right on the merge of their merger with uh, Time Warner. Um, and it was the craziest experience <laughs> ever. <laughs> and after college, I actually, um, I received an offer from AT&T, but it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. Um, more on the side of not in the location where I wanted. It was in Texas, I didn't really know anyone. So I, I, I made the very unpopular decision of declining that offer, which is, at the time, I regretted, you know, all my friends were going to these major places and I was still kind of home. So I was like, oh, uh, what's going on? That's when I, uh, I decided to start small with Aji, um, building up, you know, some clients I had in college, as well as some local businesses and really just honing in on my craft a bit more. Uh, while working kind of a, um, uh, there's a term they use in LA when actors are waiting for their big break, but they're kind of just in transit. I had an in transit job and didn't really like it, but I knew design was what I wanted to do. So I kept working. Um, I actually ended up interning 
last year with uh, Pentagram. For those who are familiar with the design in the world, it's actually the largest independently owned design firm in the world. Um, I worked under Eddie Opar and Michael Beirut and busted my butt for <laughs> about a year, learning, learning more and growing and understanding. And, you know, some, some nights, Ernest can attest, I stayed up until like two o'clock in the morning learning things <laughs> and trying to get better. And a couple months ago, I accepted this job with CNN, which is my dream job. So my path is definitely a winding road and not a straight path whatsoever. So to answer your question, no, it was nothing like what I expected or what I imagined. You know, there's this theme that I'm, I'm getting from all of y'all, and this is true of my journey as well, that, you know, there's a lot of things that maybe your college and your major might have helped you with. But at the end of the day, a lot of it is in each of your journeys, you are asking questions, you're constantly learning doing more and more things. There's a bunch of questions I'm getting around grades and test scores. For example, Calvin Tran says, do grades determine if you're going to be successful? Alejandro Garcia, can your scores on the SAT or ACT determine which careers may be good for you? Uh, let's see, there's another question lower. I think someone was asking, I think they've been discouraged for going into certain fields, maybe because they don't feel like they have the grades or the test scores. What advice do you have for students who are because obviously when you're in high school and a lot of college, your grades and your test scores seem to matter a lot. Uh, how do you all think about that? And what have you seen in your own lives or people around you? Uh, maybe I'll randomly select Ernest. You, you go first. <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> I came from a family where education was the foundation of everything. Like we couldn't do, my sister and I did theater growing up. We were in karate, we did different sports. We couldn't do extracurriculars if we weren't tight on our grades. And our parents actually praised us all the time. We got honors roll, honor roll or high honors. And setting that foundation early in our lives really put us on a great academic path um, all the way up into college, right? We were always striving to be in um, honor classes, AP classes, and then in college with the honors program and dean's list and all that. So I will always say it is important to have a strong educational basis because that actually helps you also have the right discipline with everything else that you do in life. Just because you're working at a job at Google as a software engineer and you're not getting A's and B's and C's does not mean that you're not also you're still going to be graded on how well you're performing at your job as well. So everything is always associated with one another. That being said, companies like Google don't actually require you to have a certain GPA to come work or even apply. And I actually encourage all students, no matter what GPA they have or what situation they're, they're in, to always apply to all these companies because we need to uh, always have people from a bunch of different backgrounds with a bunch of different um, thought processes, right? And, but I still strongly recommend that you focus in on your grades, get those good grades, because good grades can lead to a lot of different things. Sal, you were about to bring up earlier, um, we're about to talk about, a little bit about affording college. College is expensive, like we talked about, right? But the thing is, especially with great academics, it make, helps get you scholarships so you can actually afford college. The other thing also with tech industry jobs, if you guys don't know, I mentioned earlier, I interned at Google. An internship is when you actually go uh, leave school you don't leave school, but like during the summer when you're normally on summer break, you're actually going to work at these different companies. And these internships are actually paid. Google's internship alone, on the summer, you probably can make somewhere between twelve to fifteen thousand dollars. 
that's a lot of money that can you you can take and put right back into your education. Um, so that's why I'm very big on students making sure that they're staying strong in their academics, uh, not so that they can get a 3.5 so they can get an internship at Google, but so they have th that discipline, they have those um, foundations in order to be successful, to be able to get a job or an internship at Google. So then you can then maybe in turn makes college more affordable. So basically the bottom line of all this is it's all interdependent. Make sure that you're doing good in school because I promise you it's going to work out for you in the end. Yeah. Uh, Delisha, what, what are your thoughts on grades? I'm going to go in a little different direction, but I will say that I agree that grades are important. Um, however, what I want you all to understand and to hear me clearly, your SAT scores, any test scores do not define you. Your GPA does not define you because we all know that everyone's different. There's many situations that may cause you to have a low GPA. There are situations that may cause you not to get the best score on the SAT or ACT. You may not be a great test taker. I wasn't the best test taker, but what I did do was try my best. And that's what I'm going to encourage you all to do is always ask yourself this question. Am I trying my best? Number one. Number two, am I making sure that this makes me happy? And then number three, am I betting on myself? Hmm. So those are the three things that I want you to ask yourself each time, because at the end of the day, especially in the world of cybersecurity, we're not looking at your grades. We're not looking at your SAT or SAT scores. What we're looking at is how passionate are you? How passionate are you about wanting to rather save the world in the cybersecurity space or save the world as a software engineer or save the world by creating beautiful art for the world to see? The other thing that we're looking at as well is, are you dedicated? Are you committed to being the best person and the best version of yourself that you can be every single day? Because again, it's really important to not let any titles, anybody or anything define you because that's not what's important in life. What's important in life is, is it making you happy? Is it something you're passionate about? Is there a pathway that may not be necessarily traditional or linear that will get you to where you need to go? Um, so that's kind of how I approach and think about grading because I don't want students to get bogged down and worry that oh, if I have a 2.5, that I'm not good enough. Or if I have a 3.0, I'm not good enough and I need to have a 4.0. You don't have to be perfect. We're not looking for perfect. We're looking for unique. We're looking for you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I love I love that framework that you introduced. What about you, Madison? How What are the roles of grades have played with your and or test scores? And, and how do you, what advice do you have for folks to put that in perspective? Yeah, so I'm going to just rift off uh, Delisha for a second. I agree with, you know, both Ernest and Delisha. Grades are important. Um, they are they are a direct reflection most times of your your drive and work ethic. But as Delisha mentioned, there's unconventional ways to get into that university or that school of your dreams while you maybe maybe you don't have the grades or maybe you don't have some other requirements um back at howard I actually worked in admissions as my work study and i found out about a lot of processes that many people don't know about such as something called an appeals process 
uh, I encourage everyone to call their admissions department. And, you know, let's say you do receive a no from a university. First and foremost, a no is only two letters. So I know it may, it may stink in the time being, but again, it's only two letters. There's possibilities and um, ways to get that acceptance. If you would call their uh, admissions department and just, hey, do you guys have an appeals process? And in that appeals process, you essentially go before a group of people and I wouldn't say plead your case because that sounds weird, but <laughs> you explain to them, you know, hey, I had, um, I was testing low in this subject because of this, you know, my ACT score is um, low because of this situation or really just explaining to them, hey, I would love to be at this university. I would be an asset to this university. I, I want to be here. And a lot of times those universities will hear you out and hopefully a lot of the times those denials turns into acceptances. So I just wanted to add that in there. Yeah, that's super helpful. You know, my takeaway hearing y'all and this gels with what I think too is, as all of y'all said, grades are valuable. They're a valuable indicator. They can correlate with your work ethic and your critical thinking skills and all of that. Uh, and if you get good grades and if you get good test scores, it will open up doors for you. People will give you the benefit of the doubt. But with that said, if you don't get them, um, one, I've seen the trend matters more than the absolute. So if you have some weaker grades, but they improve over time, that's a great thing. In fact, that in some ways shows something even more special about your character, that you can overcome some of that adversity. Uh, and that even if your grades aren't where you want or your standardized test scores, as you just mentioned, Madison, and Alicia mentioned this a lot as well, that there's other ways to show what you're capable of. And frankly, the further you get from college, the further that people are going to index on other things other than those grades. And I I'd say the other way around, we also all know students who have straight A's, but if they didn't, or perfect standardized test scores, but if they didn't do the things that all of y'all have done when you in your what, ask a lot of questions, uh, always be pushing yourself. As Delisha mentioned, am I, am I taking a bet on myself? Am I stepping out of my comfort zone? Am I willing to take some risks? Am I willing to, to go talk to people and risk getting rejected? A lot of folks, I've seen a lot of very capable people afraid to apply for an opportunity for fear of rejection. And you know, the only way to guarantee that you're gonna get rejected is when you don't apply for, for, for something. And, and you, see that, you see that over and over again. Uh, one, one other question, and there's a ton that are coming up on, on social media right now. If you're a young person and you have this trade-off between there's something your parents or society is telling you you should do because it's perceived as a pragmatic profession that you can make a good income versus something that you're like, but my heart is there. How do you navigate that? Because at the end of the day, you do have to pay the bills and you do have to find a job, but at the same time, you don't want to be miserable doing it. And similarly, if people are like, well, there's my dream school, but it's, you know, even after financial aid, it's going to cost me tens of thousands of dollars a year versus there's another school that's pretty good, but it's, you know, it's, it's going to be less. How do you recommend people navigate these types of tensions, these types of trade-offs? I'll start with you, Ernest. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's kind of funny because like my path has been pretty linear. Like I love computer science in high school, did it in college. I'm a software engineer now, right? My trade-off or what I realize I'm very passionate about is actually doing work just like this, talking to high school, middle school students, college students, and making sure that they have all the keys necessary to get into the school that they want to, but then also get to the field that they want to bias towards the tech industry, of course, right? I think the cool part about the tech industry is that there is a lot of leniency, I would say, for you to work on passion projects, hobbies, 
that you also want to do. Like I would not be able to have um, create Code House, and just so like we haven't talked too much about Code House, but it's our nonprofit that has now raised three million dollars in just the last two years. Um, I would not have been able to dedicate time like that if I wasn't working at a place like Google, where I had a lot of love and support from not only my coworkers, my manager, but the organization overall to make sure I'm opening that door and providing these opportunities for other students, right? And so the cool thing about the tech industry, not only are the jobs a little bit lenient, but the tech industry covers every field imaginable right now. I literally have friends that, you know, of course work at the major tech firms, but other people that work in sports, right? At the Hawks or the Falcons and, you know, down here in Atlanta to the Golden State Warriors. So if you're into sports, but you want to make a lot of money right out of college, you can go into tech and maybe be one of their engineers on, on the team. So there is a way for you to try to balance it out. And like my parents installed on me at a very, very big age, a young age that uh, I can do a lot and I can do anything I put my mind to. So if I'm passionate about something and I want to merge it with something that could hopefully make me money or make college more affordable, that there's a way to try to make it all work out. But that is why you need to lean on a community, reach out to people who are in your spaces or in the space that you desire to be in for advice and mentorship so that you can learn from their failures, their successes, so you could try to make a path for yourself. One of the first things I always have college students do is make a five-year plan. This is a plan that doesn't have to be set in stone. You know, it's not like this is it. This is what we're going to do for us your life. But it's good to have. And there's a theme with everything I say: making a foundation for yourself, so you have a general guidance of what you want to do. And I made my five-year plans after talking to a ton of engineers at, at Google, Microsoft, Twitter, all these other companies. Teach people who got their PhD in computer science, and now even people in the nonprofit space, because I'm trying to still figure out what exactly I want to do. And if it wasn't for my community around me supporting me and helping provide guidance to me, I think I would be <laughs> walking aimlessly. So don't be shy to ask people questions. And now that y'all are listening to us, hopefully some of you guys have LinkedIn's. I, I better see some LinkedIn requests um, for me and the other two panelists as well. Thanks for that. What about you, Madison? What 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 advice would you have? I have tons, <laughs> tons of advice. I would say um, for college students currently, I would say that don't be afraid to be multifaceted. Um, there's a world and a way to merge all of the things that you love into one, um, whether it be you know simultaneously, one at a time. There's opportunity and space to do so. And I would also say it's okay to not know what you're doing. Um, totally, <laughs> totally okay. Uh, I think in this age of social media and almost the instant gratification culture, it's almost a, a pressure to know all the time, like, hey, yeah, I know how to do that. Or yeah, I know what's going on. Or yeah, like, um, I'm going to do this and do that. But oftentimes, we don't know. <laughs> so I would say, you know, as I said previously, asking questions and grabbing advice, whether, you know, not saying there's going to be a, a, you know, almighty knowing person that is going to pave your, pave your, pave, there you go, <laughs> pave your way to success, but there's going to be individuals who add bricks to that road. And that's going to help you essentially get to where you need to be. Yeah. And Delisha? Yeah, similar to what Madison was saying, you know, none of us are one dimensional. 
So don't be afraid to lean into other things that you're passionate about and use that as your stepping stone. So you want to think of whatever your current job or career is that you end into for the beginning um, as a stepping stone. Utilize that time that you have to build on those passion projects. Start training after work. Start building out different projects, whether it's an art project or whether it's a coding project and you're learning how to code, or if you're trying to learn cybersecurity and you want to check out Cyberstart America and possibly earn scholarships for college just by playing a fun cybersecurity game, whatever it is, just utilize the resources that you have um, to get you to where you want to go. Because again, you don't have to stay where you are forever. So whether it's a job at Starbucks or at Target, or once you graduate from college and you get your first real job out of college, use that as a stepping stone. Don't look at it as, oh man, I have to stay here forever. You don't. Just use it again as that stepping stone, as we already kind of stated those building blocks. And as Ernie said, use it as a foundation to leapfrog into the career that you want to be in um, and to create a path for yourself where you see success and happiness. Yeah. And maybe one last question. Uh, this has been super hot. I could talk to you all for hours. Uh, we get, we're getting a couple of questions about people who I think are a little bit unsure about college itself. Going back to our original title, is college right for me? Uh, Banana Boat says, I feel like college really isn't for me. What career paths can I go into and pursue without having to do college? Uh, we have Ruslana saying, my big problem is not knowing enough about college, how to navigate all of this stuff. You know, what, what would you say to these students who seem to be a little bit on the fence? One, do they have to go to college? Are there uh, reasonable paths if college isn't right for them? But but also, how would you have them think about that? And maybe college is right for them. I, I'll take it in any order. Let's start with you, Madison. Yeah, so I can say first and foremost, no, college isn't for everyone. And that's okay. It's It, it really is okay. There's, especially now, with you know us working from home and things being so readily available within our you know within our home spaces there's training programs you know there's a lot offered through <laughs> google as well as linkedin and you know ways you can learn tangible skills and get the i guess the almost the validation that college does provide in different means so i i do linkedin learning all the time and i learn new things get certificates and they're able to build up my resume in that way so just because you know college you, is something that's so i guess ingrained within our society psyche you don't necessarily have to do college if you don't believe it's for you because at the end of the day if you go into something that isn't for you you're going to end up just not wanting to do it and that is you know time money spent and things of that sort where you could have been kind of focusing in things where you do like um but i will say college does provide a lot of perspective, um, not only in education, but I learned a lot about people and personalities and ways to work with people and gain skills in that area, which then helped me in my post career. I learned a lot about, you know, going to school out of state. I learned about different cultures and things that also aided in my education and aided me writing papers, aiding me learning new history to figure some things out. Um, so I would say no, college isn't for everyone, but I do see benefits in going. Yeah, thanks for that. What about you, Delisha? What would you say to these folks who might be a little bit on the fence? Yeah, college isn't an end-all be-all. And you can also look at it from a sense of there are other unique ways where you'll still get the knowledge. People may call it 
call it college. Some people may call it trade school, but there's different pathways, alternatives that you can take. Like Madison stated, there are training programs where you'll still learn the skills, but it's not like a traditional college. You have a community college route or your tech, local tech schools where you're able to learn trade, whether it's to become a HVAC or AC technician, a mechanic. We always need someone to, to work on our cars. Um, construction, we always need something built, houses, schools, hospitals, um, all the way to tech. And I'm sure Ernest is gonna talk to this as well, but tech and cybersecurity is huge. And there are a ton of people who look like you, who look like me, who are from various walks of life, who are 16 year olds, who are 60 year olds, whether you're new uh, to discovering and figuring out what you wanna do, or you're someone who wants to transition and you're like, I wanna change my career. I wanna change my job. I want something different. I want something new. There's always an opportunity through certifications and those are everywhere. They're endless online, whether it's through Google, whether it's through a SANS Institute, whether it's through a Coursera, Udemy, whomever, there are opportunities for you to gain skills and, and educate yourself without going that traditional route of a on-campus or traditional college. And there are also other colleges out there like my college where you have that flexibility to be yourself and it's not in that traditional structure. You pretty much build your schedule. You're able to work on your own time and you have the opportunity to not only gain hands-on skills without the fluff, but once you graduate, you're actually able to step into a career that is fulfilling, fun, and again, you get to save the world. So why wouldn't you want to, to take a chance on that? Absolutely, and, and Ernest, your advice? Uh, yeah, so this question is a good one. Um, I'm gonna take my Google hat off because I know I've been a great recruiter for Google today. Oh, this question comes up a lot um, recently, especially since like most tech companies actually took off the requirement for a college level degree in order to apply for entry level positions. So right now, you don't need to go to college to get a job at Google. I'm going to put a big asterisk there, though, because if you can go to college or if you're on the fence, please just try. If you're able to, if you're able to afford it, go to a place that's most affordable because getting some kind of formal education does open doors for you. I'll put it, I went to, I'm a computer scientist, you know, I'm a software engineer, I love thinking numbers. When I got to Google, Google reviewed 2 million around the world resumes for applications. 2 million, right? So of that, just think of how many people are college educated versus non-college educated, different kind of requirements. There's a lot of competition in the world. I don't say that to scare it because if I was able to get to Google, trust me, everyone listening to this call can also land a job at Google, right? I say that to say that whether organizations realize it or not, there is some biases towards people getting some sort of formal education. So there's so many different ways to get formal education. You know, uh, Delisha mentioned about certificates, training programs, um, community college, if you guys don't know, community college is a great opportunity where you can, um, for most places, go to a school local in your community and get an associate's degree for little to no money at all. And there's a lot of scholarships to get to community college. And then a lot of those colleges have programs to then transition to state schools in the same state that you're in. 
So like for Madison and I, we had Middlesex County College. A lot of our classmates went there and then transitioned over to Rutgers University. That's a great way to still get formal education at less of a cost rather than paying for Rutgers for four years. That on top of doing things like work study where you actually can get paid during the school year to do a job, um, having some role um, in at the university or college that you attend, on top of maybe even being a RA. RAs normally get free housing uh, for uh, their institution. Doing research, if you come into the tech industry, there's a lot of schools that do research. I was doing research at Morehouse and I was getting checks every month just to do research on computer science. So there's different ways to make college affordable. So I always strive to tell students, if you can afford it, if you can make it happen, please go, go to college because it's gonna help set you up for the rest of the things um, in your life. So that's, that's my bias on it right now. Yeah, no, well, th thanks all of y'all for giving very honest and I think authentic answers, which everyone really wants. You know, I'll give my last few, few cents on that last question. Um, I agree with everything I've, all of y'all said. Uh, there are other there are other pathways, and there's increasingly, you know, in, in the past, the other pathways people might have said trade school and whatever, and even those, those can be higher compensating than people recognize. I once spoke at the the National Electric uh, Electrician Association, and you could get an apprenticeship uh, after doing some intro courses, and then once you're done with the apprenticeship, you could be making six figures. So there is there could be very good careers in the trades. But as many of y'all alluded to, many of the, the jobs that we associate with college degrees, like becoming a software engineer or working in cybersecurity, there now might be alternative pathways. Google and others have certification mechanisms where, where uh, that type of thing can happen. Uh, but with that said, and I think Ernest, you alluded to it, I think everyone alluded to this, that it's still where society is right now. College tends to be the most likely pathway. And you know, I just reflected people who had a little bit of time to reflect on their, their 20s. and pretty much anyone who went to college and finished does not regret it. They don't say, I wish I didn't go. I do know folks who might have started and didn't finish, and then there might be some regrets. And so I think maybe the narrative might be, you know, it isn't college or bust. It is really dig deep. And this, this is, you know, I'm trying to text some dots with what all of y'all said, what you care about, what you love, and what's sustainable. You can't do anything even for four years if you don't at least reasonably enjoy it. Um, but, and then, and what's sustainable financially, time, if you need to work while you're in college, uh, but then try to try to put your head down and, and get that done. It probably will open doors for you, but for whatever reason, if it doesn't work out financially, if that doesn't work out in any other way, I always say there's no right decision. It's all about making the decision right. And we just as we talked about the straight A student who might not get opportunities because they might become complacent or not want to take risks. There could be people with PhDs who don't, don't reach their potential because they don't take risk. And there could be people who didn't go to college, but they're always working. They're always putting themselves out of their comfort zone. They're talking, asking a lot of questions, they're being entrepreneurial and they can do just great. So no simple answers to all of this, but this was a fun beginning to the conversation. Thank you all for joining this. And I hope we can we can do something like this again. Yes, thanks, thanks for, for having so much. I would love to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks everyone. If you want to hear more of Homeroom with Sal or Khan Academy Ed Talks, subscribe to this podcast and tell a friend. If you want to support the work we do here at Khan Academy, visit khanacademy.org slash donate. We're a nonprofit, and we appreciate your financial support in making sure that our materials can reach as many learners as possible. That's khanacademy.org slash donate. That's our podcast, folks. 
Your host is Sal Khan. This show is produced by my wonderful Khan Academy co-workers, Kevin Dangor, Stephanie Yamkovenko, Dan Tu, Irene Wang, Anthony Nelson, Felipe Escamilla, Irene Chen, Ken Jones, Fail Lundberg, and me, David Reinstrom. Our intro theme is Time Flux by Revolution Void, and our outro theme is Onward by Poddington Bear.